0: G'day and welcome to the Pursuit of Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Rosie Burrows, and I'm on a journey to find my freedom so that I can help you do exactly the same. Join me each week as I share the stories of everyday people who have found their own path to freedom. I'm not gonna focus on job titles and accolades because I don't care about that stuff, and neither should you. I want to uncover what truly makes you tick. Who are you when you step away from society's expectations? Follow your heart. I still haven't figured it out yet. Have you? Either way, buckle up because it's going to be one hell of a ride. Welcome to the very first episode of the Find Your Freedom podcast. I'm sitting here with someone grinning at me, and it's very hard (laughs) not to laugh. (laughs) Um, This is my best friend, Danny Smith. We have known each other. Danny, I always get this wrong. Is it from grade? Since grade two?
1: Yes, something like that.
0: <laughs> so that's... A long time. <laughs> yeah, how many years is that? How old are we in year two? 25. Your are Wow. Yeah. 25 years. <laughs> Holy crap, yeah. So we've known each other a really long time and... Danny's kindly agreed to be on this first episode so that I can kind of shake the nerves out and practice, check all the tech is working. Hopefully we have a usable episode in this. I think we will. You'll probably hear a lot of laughing and going off topic. Um, It's taken us probably 15 minutes to get started because there's too much laughing and Danny needed something to fidget with, so she's hugging a a soft plushy penguin right now, squeezing it at the mic. (laughs) (laughs) So let's dive in. I want to touch on the fact that we're quite different people. And as we just said, we've known each other 25 years and somehow we get along really well. But I want to unpack how both of us navigate change in very different ways. But I yes. think both of us are at points where in our life where we're quite happy with where we are. Yeah, um, Yeah. <laughs> Do you agree? Cool. Yep. <laughs> so for me... Often where I thrive is when I just throw myself in the deep end, like it's usually a huge risk and, yep, yeah, let's go. There's no easing into it, dipping your toe, because I always seem to hedge. And I also think that I respond fairly well when someone challenges me and goes, well, why are you doing that? Initially I'll probably push back on it, but I think... I operate fairly well with that, someone just challenging me and going, what are you doing? Whereas I wonder if that's something you like or um, respond well to. Well,
1: I definitely agree that that's what you respond well to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But for me, it's not necessarily like that. I find it easier if I more plan things through first so I can see the bigger picture rather than just sort of jumping into things. I kind of find it easier if people not ne- not agree with me, but, like, find ways to discuss things openly rather than sort of challenging me, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And this isn't really something we've spoken about before, but I'm curious because I can be... I think people who don't know me can probably find me quite confrontational and very loud, and when I'm passionate about something, I can probably seem a bit full on. So I'm curious, like, because we talk a lot, and, um, you know, we, we've we definitely spoken in the past about, you know, when you're thinking about big decisions. So how how do you navigate that with me? Because <laughs> I'm curious, <laughs> like... <laughs> How
1: does that go? Um, I think because we've just known each other for so long, our different ways of doing things and our different mannerisms, that we're just able to understand each other without the conflict. Mm. Like, we just can understand where each other are coming from without mm. being offended And I think the fact that we both sort of listen to each other openly Mm -hmm. and listen to what the other one's saying before we say anything else sort of makes a a big difference.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point because I think in life when you don't feel heard, it's very lonely and it's very frustrating. So, I mean, we don't agree on everything, but the fact that we feel safe to talk to each other and that we're going to be listened to, I think makes all the difference.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think the fact that we respect each other's opinions also helps a lot. Mm. That um, when I go to you to ask you about something, I'm not just expecting you to agree with me or mm. necessarily just be like, yeah, that sounds good. I'm expecting you to give me some feedback mm. or other ideas to help me. Um mm. Yeah, so I'm
0: sort of usually seeking that anyway. I'd agree with that. Um, And, yeah, I guess after 25 years, you'd hope that (laughs) we have a pretty good understanding of how each other operates. Yeah. I want to hear a bit... I'm thinking about a particular time in your life where there was pretty big change. And I think I experienced something similar because we both graduated from our teaching degrees at a similar time, not quite the same time. Um, And... (laughs) For both of us, it was really challenging. Like, yeah. Do you want to share with our listeners kind of what that was like when you graduated teaching and sort of starting on that career path?
1: Yeah, so I decided that I was going to go do a rural stint to get to have permanency and move back to Brisbane. Um, I think at the time, my expectations, maybe of myself and the situation, were very high. Um, going into it I didn't know anybody in the town I'd met the principal once before moving up and was very lonely to start with because I was a PE teacher in a small town there were three schools all three schools had under 80 kids in them um, different multi-age classes so I was going from school, each school each day a different school. So I had one school on the Tuesday, the next on Wednesday, the next on the Thursday. The Friday was the um, school sports. So we did it at a different school every term. And then Saturdays, half of Saturdays, because I didn't work five days during the week, I had to do f- the Saturday, as Saturday morning sports for the kids because they had nothing to do in the town. Um, other than maybe rugby or go to PCYC. Um, Mm. So, yeah, that was um, a big bit of a change, not at the same school, not being able to make the same friendship groups or the same connections as you would if you were just in the one school, but also working under three different principles and a public uh, public system as well as a Catholic system Mm. um, and just sort of navigating how each principal responds to different things and how to meet their expectations when they were all slightly different. So that was a bit difficult. It took a while for me to make um, solid friendships, especially since a lot of the teachers would go leave town over the weekend. So they would leave on Saturday and come back on Sunday afternoon, whereas I had the sport on the Saturday morning, so I wasn't really able to leave town until Saturday afternoon if I wanted to go and join them for any socialising outside of town. And because I didn't work on Mondays, that was sort of like my extra day off where I was typically just by myself. Later in the year, I sort of made that an afternoon tea day where I'd invite other teachers over to have brownies and scones and other different things, (laughs) Um, just sort of to I guess to fill that time to fill my space with like friends
0: and food (laughs) yeah I mean that sounds really challenging um you know having the different principals the different schools being in a rural area so for those of you who don't live in Australia um Danny was how long's the drive from Brisbane to where you were 20 plus hours hours?
1: I don't know. I don't think. Yeah, 50, probably about the 15 maybe. 15 hours
0: or a couple of hour plane ride. Um, but and days, then a two-hour drive after the plane ride. Yeah, right. And then to actually get to the town from the airport is a couple of hour drive if you're flying. So yeah. it really wasn't close to your existing support network, your family no. um, and your partner as well. So that's so challenging. And then on top of that, you were a beginning teacher. You weren't someone who'd done this before. You were brand new. Yeah. And it sounds like, you know, you found some ways to, I guess, help cope with that. You know, you were mentioning the afternoon tea thing, you know, filling that time. But were there any other things or strategies that you found helpful at that time to, you know, I guess keep the loneliness at bay and, and, and look after yourself?
1: Um, we usually had a bit of, cause all the teachers pretty much lived in the same street. <laughs> well, most of us anyway, my neighbors in the duplex next to me were also teachers. So we, um, we would have sometimes shared dinners out the front of the unit or we'd go down to the, one of the other teachers down the road and have dinner mm-hmm. there. Or sometimes we would just go and have a chat after school. Mm. So it was yeah. We would we would do things together after school as well.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having that community and, and connection with people, I think, is so important. But tell me, what happened? Did you stay up there?
1: No, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't last very long. I, okay. I stayed out the whole. I lasted out there the whole year. Because mm-hmm. um, just I didn't want to quit on it. I found it. I think because I found working at the three schools diff- like difficult and sort of navigating the different principles but also like the expectations and the fact that it was a small town compared to like when you're in a city, all the sports are sort of managed by different people mm-hmm. whereas in the town it had to be managed by me so I was making all the um, permission booklets to go to district sports. And then the teachers didn't really know how to train the kids for these sports, so then I was doing more outside of what I was meant to do because I didn't know how to train them, Mm. so I would come in and sort of help them train. And then the Fridays, because the Fridays weren't just Friday sport, it was also mostly my non-contact time where I did all my planning and all that, but a lot of that time got taken out for when I had to take the kids to district sport. Mm -hmm. So I would... I, I don't know how many hours I missed, but I missed a lot of hours of non-contact time just purely because I was taking the kids out of town to district sports. Wow. And, yeah, being a beginning teacher, I was just like, oh, just something I need to do. Didn't really think about the fact that, no, you're meant to have that amount of planning time a week. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I think a lot of work just compiling onto me with not the time to actually do a lot of it mm-hmm. other than outside of the work time.
0: So how did you make the decision to leave? Like you've mentioned a couple of time this, times this um, the topic of expectations. I imagine that being really challenging. The
1: principal at the time had a chat to me because I think she noticed that I was finding it difficult. Mm-hmm. I kind of got to know her quite well over the time. I did help like occasionally look after her kids um, and she kind of, Checked in with me towards the end of the year and was like, How do you think it's all going? How are you feeling? That kind of thing. And at that point, because I'd pretty much committed to being a PE teacher for a while, like it wasn't my initial choice in uni, but um, mm-hmm. when I got offered to do the major, I decided to do it. And then I was like, This is, this seems pretty fun. I might like, mm-hmm. I'll probably enjoy doing this. But then once I was up there, I think the fact that just having it's so complex with working at the three schools. Mm. Um, I was just like, no, I think I'd prefer to go back to the classroom. yes yeah. So the principal was quite good. She just said, oh, um, I have a friend who's a principal in a town not too far from here that has a, an opening. So um, if you'd like to try out teaching like back in a classroom, you mm. can. So yeah. in the end, I just decided to do that. Mm-hmm. Um and I moved, <laughs> I moved to that town, much bigger school, so pretty much one extreme to the other from like three classes in the whole school to like three, four classes in each grade. Yeah, right. And like the school environments felt different as well. First year out, we'd all have lunch together in the staff room. We'd all chat in the staff room. But when I moved to this new school... A couple of teacher aides were in the staff room, but no one else really. Mm. And it was like strange for anyone to really go and sit and eat up in the staff room. A lot of the teachers would just heat up their food and sit in their classrooms and eat. A lot of them would work through their lunch breaks.
0: Wow.
1: I'd come in partway through the five-step school improvement. And yeah, they had all these things that they'd put in place before I'd gotten there, but didn't really give me I guess introduction of what I needed to do or like the professional development to Mm -hmm. meet um, the expectations of what they wanted Mm -hmm. they kind of just more assumed that we just knew how to do everything Mm. they'd also bought all these resources and books at the start like start of the year for the kids to use so we could do reading groups spelling groups but then we also did um English groups math groups and um, the extracurriculars in the afternoon. Mm. So from prep to year seven, they streamed <laughs> all subjects pretty much. Like, wow. well, maybe not all subjects. Like, so reading, spelling, English, and math. They streamed, mm-hmm. and then every three weeks we would swap classes. So I was in charge of science. So I had my class for three weeks to teach them science, and they had the next class for the science. Wow. And then the third class for science. Yeah. So...
0: Then um, that's not your typical way of, of teaching, right? That no. That you would have been trained to do. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then because they'd streamed all the spelling and the reading, in the mornings would come in, mark the roll, like, real, really fast, and then we'd send the kids out to whatever class they were going to for their um, reading group. Mm-hmm. So... The kids that ended up coming to me for reading were year fours and year fives, Mm -hmm. even though I was just meant to be teaching year five. Right. Um, And then we were meant to have half an hour, but by the time they got there, pulled everything out, did the reading and then had to send them to the next group, always ended up like 20 minutes. And then we'd send them off and then we'd get different ones for spelling groups.
0: Wow.
1: And we'd try and just push through all the spelling groups
0: Mm. get it
1: done and then i'd get the english group that would come to me so the english group was basically the lower lower academically year fives Mm -hmm. and we would at the time we were teaching two c2c units a term Mm -hmm. so that's five weeks um (laughs) each each unit so the first how long
0: would you usually have to teach a unit
1: um, nowadays, cause I'm, I'm on year five again this year, right, um, yeah. we have one unit per term.
0: So <laughs> the, you were doing two per term. We were yeah.
1: doing two per term. So we did, um, the first term I was there, we had to teach them how to write a chapter of a novel
0: mm-hmm.
1: and we had to teach them how to write, um, a feature article
0: in and, 10 weeks. In 10 weeks. Yeah.
1: And, um, yes.
0: And they had to publish it as well.
1: Yeah, that's full on. Article. That's
0: stressful, not only for you as a teacher, but also students. And this kind of leads me onto mm. my next question because I'm sure that transition from being a PE teacher to a classroom teacher, at the time, it probably seemed like a really good opportunity and a good decision based on your experience of your first year doing PE. But it didn't turn out as you expected. And this, I think, is a topic that is really important to talk about. (laughs) What would your advice be for people who perhaps have made a decision and they're at a point where it just has gone to shit? (laughs) (laughs) What's your advice? Because I know you managed to navigate that situation and end up in a better place. But what would your advice be to people who are stuck in the thick of it and don't know what to do?
1: Definitely make sure that you're talking to your support network. So even if the people who normally support you aren't there with you definitely um make sure you're still communicating with your friends and your family Mm. not just to help you out with as you put it situations when they go to shit but like (laughs) um just in general just so that you're not feeling lonely or alone Mm -hmm. and um just to keep that support there for if that does happen. Yes. Yeah. And trying to just have at least one person, like, at work that you can talk to. I had some really good teacher aides that I talked to quite a bit and one of the year three teachers who was great as well. I did end up talking to the union, um, but I don't know, they would
0: perhaps wasn't as useful as you would have hoped
1: no and i was just like at the time i'd pretty much just really had enough Mm. and i just really didn't want to be there anymore because i'd had been working probably the hardest that had ever worked yeah and i just didn't feel appreciated and i didn't feel like what i was doing was enough even though I was putting all these hours in, I yeah. was in there at work most weekends. I didn't really have much of a social mm. life and it was just like constantly on the go. They were also doing observations on everyone like every two weeks. Wow. Um, and then they would give you a list of things to improve on. Right. At the end of the observation. Usually the list of things you did well was smaller than the list of things that you needed yeah. to improve on. Yeah. And yeah. Um, it just wasn't very like a very good school culture. Um, yeah,
0: I was gonna say, you yeah. Know, it sounds like a very negative school culture, you know, the fact that that teachers are eating in their in their classrooms and not socializing in the staff room and you know, you're working on weekends and um, management is observing you every two weeks. And for those yeah. of you listening who aren't teachers, that's that's a lot. That's not normal practice i
1: think they're allowed
0: to um
1: observe you once a term
0: right so they were observing more than they they should have been yep. um you know according to the union so yeah yeah not a good environment to be in especially when you're no. struggling and it sounds like perhaps there wasn't support to help you i guess improve yeah which is awful but let's jump forward <laughs> this was a while ago right what yes. year was it what year was it that you started teaching was it 2012? Sorry,
1: at the end of 2012 was when I graduated, and mm-hmm. I did a short stint out at Dolby teaching, so slightly out west. Mm-hmm. Okay, and then I moved up north for a year, and then the following year was when I moved to the school I was teaching at five. But I didn't. I chose not to to get out for the full year this time because mm-hmm. I was just. At the point where I wasn't enjoying myself, I didn't feel like I was really doing teaching justice. I didn't think the kids were really learning in the best way that they could be learning. Mm. And I I wasn't. I didn't feel like I was able to help them in the ways that I wanted to. I was pretty much at at the stage where I was going to quit. I didn't work for a whole term. Mm -hmm. I tried to find other jobs elsewhere. Mm -hmm. My grandma was also sick at the time, so I did come Back down to help out with her as well, mm. which took some pressure off my family. But yeah, I was like adamant that I wasn't going to go back to teaching. Yeah, yeah, which is quite funny now.
0: Because um. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's share with the audience you you're teaching, right? It's yes. now you know ten plus years later, and you're teaching. And I would say overall, you you enjoy what you do. Yeah. Um. So what a transformation, right? But how. So you were adamant you weren't going to do teaching and I I guess <laughs> that experience really scarred you, I guess. Yeah. So how did you find that joy again in teaching? I went,
1: I decided that I would do some relief teaching and that way there wasn't any pressure on me at all to perform. And can you explain
0: for those who aren't familiar, what is relief teaching?
1: Relief teaching is when a teacher's away and you just fill
0: in for them for the day.
1: And um, yeah, so there's, there's no, no
0: real planning you need to do, or oh, not
1: overly. It depends. <laughs> it depends on the teacher and the school that you go to, right? Yeah. Um. Yeah, there was a few days. Well, comes with multiple, different challenges. Multiple right? days where um, this one teacher. That, well, this one school that I'd say, oh, the f- there's a different plans in the folder that you could just pull a plan mm. out and do. But she only ever had one plan in there. So I don't know right. how many different relief teachers were trying to do this one plan <laughs> <laughs> every time she was away. But I just usually would just pop my head into the teacher next door and be like, oh, hey, what are you guys learning? How do you guys usually structure the day? And just sort of Learned to talk to people yeah a bit more like than I usually would like Mm -hmm. straight up like I'll just go and talk to people and see Mm -hmm. how the school did things and then I just built in little things during the day to make it a bit more fun for the kids Mm -hmm. so like if we got work done quicker than what we were meant to we'd go outside and play a game for 10 minutes um or we'd play like silent ball inside we'd just find different things to do other than just the typical things and then in the afternoon I would usually do some sort of fun crafty thing if there wasn't a plan so yeah it was yeah I guess less pressure it was, as a relief teacher right? it was yeah it was less less pressure and if I didn't have a good day I could just leave it there at the school and like separate it from my life yeah. and who I was as a person it wasn't just like yep yeah,
0: Yeah, so it's kind
1: of a nice transition. Yeah, so I think I only really did really – well, I did relief teaching for a while, but I only did relief teaching for a couple of weeks before I got a contract.
0: Yeah, right. So They liked what they saw. (laughs)
1: Um, Yeah, so I went went to one school for a couple of days and then that turned into I think the rest of the year. Mm. Um, But then at the end of it they didn't have – a contract for me to roll onto until the, the start of the next year where mm-hmm. they offered me 3 days. Yeah. So I was doing three I did 3 days for three terms mm-hmm. before I got a full-time contract there. Mm-hmm. So the other two the other 2 days I was still doing relief teaching. Yeah, right.
0: So yeah. Um and now you're working as a full-time, you know, permanent teacher, right? Yes. So you've kind of followed this path of gradually working your way. Yeah, back into
1: it. Yeah. Um, so I did that end of that term in um, special, a special education role. Mm-hmm. So um, I wasn't working with a full class. I was working with a group, like a small group of kids each session to help mm-hmm. them with... Um, reading, writing,
0: maths, Mm -hmm. all that kind of thing, which was really fun. And probably more aligned with why you got into teaching in the first place. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah.
1: Because I could actually see the difference that I was making and um, just build the confidence in those kids that Mm. usually don't have that confidence in themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And then when I moved on to the next year level, or the next year, sorry, I was working in year three, part-time and prep part-time and that's where I met one of my friends that I'm still friends with now Mm. and she's kind of just helped me like use my creativity which I'd sort of lost when Mm, I when I'd gone up north because it was so regimented in the way that I had to do things yeah and you know when you're like fresh out you're excited you Mm want to do all these things Mm -hmm. and I kept getting hit with by a barrier of oh, but this is how we do it here. This is how we've always done it here. And I'm like, but it could be done better this way. Yeah, And it's just kind of like hitting into a brick wall. Mm. Um, But, yeah, when I moved to this other school to teach in year three, it was a bit more like sort of less pressure in the amount of units we had to teach but also – my teaching partner was quite good. She was quite creative as well. Mm-hmm. We would bounce ideas off each other and do things that would be more fun for the students. So I think um, just having that person really helped to just bring the joy out again. And yeah. Um, yeah. you can't just do make it alone, it, right? Just just make it more fun and realize like that. Um, creativity is a
0: great Mm. thing
1: to be using rather than like, not so much, you know, like just, I
0: I think when we don't let our creativity out, it comes out in negative ways, like through stress and, and other ways. And I know that you're very much an artist, even though you're working as a teacher, you're a very creative person. Um, so do you want to share, like, how does creativity show up in your life?
1: Oh, in many, <laughs> many different ways. Yeah. Um, I get very excited about different um, different crafty things and mm. I go dip in and out of each one. I do like to paint and draw. I've recently learnt how to embroider and cool. I'm doing some shoes for a friend's daughter's formal. Cool. <laughs> Done some punch needling. That's very therapeutic. Mm. Um, crochet. A lot of a lot of different things. Um, <laughs> yeah, and gardening gardening's a big one for me. Just yeah. being outside and, mm-hmm. um, in nature and just kind of zoning out to everything. Yeah, just focusing on the present in the garden is, is very helpful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, work wise, at the moment, I've been trying to embed, it. Mm -hmm. a bit more so just being a bit more creative with how the students use it so we're going back into that feature article unit (laughs) um and instead of using a computer we're going to use ipads and we're going to use an app which is similar to powerpoint but i've set up the template so it looks like um a website cool so they can add in like the photos and they could Make their own website if they wanted to, yeah. and yeah, just be a bit more creative about mm-hmm. it. Um, because last term when we did the stories, writing the writing the chapter, the kids were able to then publish it, mm-hmm. um, using Pages to make their cool. own little book. Because yeah. on Pages they've got like novel templates already, right? Yeah, so they could just go in and fiddle with it.
0: Cool. So yeah, yeah, I think that's really cool because you're expressing your creativity in the planning and how you deliver the curriculum. But you're also giving students the opportunity to, yeah, flex their creativity muscle, which I think is awesome. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that's made them really excited. Well, most of them anyway. But, yeah, (laughs) um, you're never going to get everyone fully on board. But, yeah, yeah, like to the point where one of this, we had parent-teacher interviews in the last week of term and one of the parents was like, My son's never been this excited about writing ever. Like writing writing in English has never been his favourite subject. Mm. He's more into like the maths and science side of things, but he's come home and he's super excited by the writing. Mm. And I gave him like a copy of the little book that he'd made because he'd gone past the first chapter and decided to write extra chapters. And I've ended up sending the book to the parent so that he could do the rest at home. That's he so really, powerful. Yeah. He he really wants to continue it, and he's really tried to take on the feedback. I think which, mm. it has been like helpful having it in that format because it's easiest to sort of manipulate. Yeah. As well. So.
0: And what an amazing experience for you as a teacher to get that feedback, but also for the student to find joy in a subject that usually he really doesn't like. Yeah. Um, Exactly, like how cool is that? That's that to me is what it's all about. You want to help students kind of find their creativity and realize their full potential. So that's that's really cool. Now, I want to dive into one more topic because I think I think this will be helpful for a lot of people. (coughs) (laughs) Danny said I was going to cough, and I did. So, yeah, this last topic, I think it's going to be useful for a lot of people. And I know it was quite a journey for you. And, you know, I've sort of been in the background while while you've been on this this journey of self-discovery. So recently um, you got sort of an official diagnosis of ADHD. Yeah. And I think, I mean, it's being talked about more in this day and age, but I think it's very much It's still taboo, I think. Yes. And I think a lot of people don't actually understand even what ADHD is, what it looks like, specifically for females.
1: Yes, Um, definitely. Yeah. So, you know, you're a female with ADHD.
0: (laughs) I really want to hear your understanding and experience of it.
1: Yeah, because when, when people say ADHD, everyone stereotypically just thinks of... The boy who's running around full of energy, mm. hyperactive, mm-hmm. um, beha- a behaviour problem, um, which is quite different f- for a lot of girls with ADHD. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are girls that are quite hyperactive with yeah. ADHD, um, but... A lot of the girls that go unnoticed are the ones that have inattentive ADHD. Mm-hmm. So that means that they're just not really able to focus as well, mm. often appear daydreamy, mm. sort of just not paying attention. Right. Um, but they're often just very quiet mm. about it, sort of just going about their own business mm-hmm. and, just, and sort of just getting by. And their social cueing is a lot better than what you see in hyperactive voice but yeah it's sort of a lot of just i guess forgetfulness mm-hmm. time management is a big issue for me
0: <laughs> yes, uh, it which
1: is. rosie will agree to it doesn't matter what i try to do i'm never on time <laughs> um oh, forgetfulness <laughs> yeah. losing your train of thought losing your train of thought um just constant chatter in your brain like mm. even though i said it's like not hyperactive it's not hyperactive in the sense of your body mm. physically moving all the time mm-hmm. it's more hyperactivity in the brain and like your thoughts right are more hyperactive yeah. where your thoughts yeah. are just constant or bouncing around from different thing to thing yeah which I guess again makes it hard to concentrate because definitely there's a lot going on internally
0: yeah and I think because it is happening internally as an outsider it's it's hard to to see that and exactly I know that girls are generally very good at masking yes um which you would know having been through it and you're now 32 and only recently got the diagnosis but you know I know from talking to you that on reflection you can see that from back at childhood that adhd was there so yeah can you share how like how did you come to suspect you might have adhd or or was that what happened that's a a very good question
1: (laughs) um actually social media is like played a positive role for once (laughs) (laughs) um one of my friends um recently got diagnosed well before i did got diagnosed um and was just posting to her stories on instagram all these yeah these videos about people with adhd Mm -hmm. and i was like oh is that adhd oh is that what adhd could look like Mm. to the point where i was like bombarded with all these videos that Mm -hmm. i could relate to and i was like ah <laughs> okay <laughs> so it took me a few months to be like okay I should book an appointment to mm-hmm. see a specialist mm-hmm. um then I went to the GP and she sent her a referral through but that that place couldn't do it everywhere's pretty busy at the moment and then yeah. she referred me to somewhere else and I just waited was on a wait list for a while okay yeah but the guy that I went and saw was really good
0: mm. so how yeah. did that process work like there might be people listening here going who are going oh I think I have ADHD what was that process like when you saw the specialist like what happened
1: um they just asked me sort of why I decided to come in mm-hmm. what I found what I found that I was struggling with and what assistance like I thought that they could give me um okay. so yeah he was quite good I know a lot of people don't have that same experience a lot of women right. don't have that same experience because there are some psychiatrists that don't actually also, fully understand what the yeah. representations yeah. are in um, women. So, yeah, I've heard, unfortunately, some really bad stories yeah. where they just go in and it they're just basically. like, yeah, yeah. they're just yeah. like, oh no, you're
0: fine. Like, what a what an awful experience. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, it's it's a shame, but almost some of the onus is on you to make sure that you go to a psychiatrist who perhaps. Yeah. specialises in ADHD but not only that if you're a woman or a girl or whatever that they yeah. actually understand that as well because even though a psychiatrist is a specialist there's so many different things yeah. that they cover that how could they possibly know everything um but it's yeah it's promising and really comforting to hear that you had a positive experience
1: yeah. I did I did specifically go to an ADHD clinic cool so yeah yeah <laughs> I, I did
0: I would have hoped to <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, yeah, that's
0: a tip for people then, right? Yeah. Try to to get a specialist who is in that realm. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I think, like, the other difficulty is, like, with executive functioning, though.
0: Okay. Tell us what that is. Like,
1: just being able to plan things out. um, Mm -hmm. Sometimes, like, especially with ADHD, it's like a lack of dopamine. So if you're not excited and you're you're not excited to do something mm-hmm. then you're less likely to do it and mm-hmm. you just get stuck in not doing things until yeah. the last minute where your brain sort of kicks in and's it's like oh this is exciting okay. suddenly and yeah. like oh we must do this now and we have to do it yeah and it sort of gives you that bit of a boost to right. get it done, and it's yeah, it's usually right at the last minute. But it sort of like does impact on like even things like making appointments. Yeah, and I um, imagine finding it could places to go to bring
0: yeah. about a bit of anxiety too. Yeah, things that are happening last minute, <laughs> and yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. ADHD and anxiety are quite linked, right? Um, yeah, most people who have ADHD also have anxiety. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and also rejection sensitive dysphoria.
0: <laughs> yeah, tell me what's um, that. Yeah. So
1: just just basically the fear of being rejected um, yeah. or not being good enough, um, mm. which sort of, I guess plays a role in like expectations and yeah. what what I've expected in myself,, yeah. growing up, and even in my early career is mm. not necessarily like true to what is actually expected of me like it's just yeah, there's a narrative like, in your head. Yeah, yeah. That's just kind of been a bit bit of a constant thing. Um yeah. yeah, and it's it's taken me a long time to sort of just be like this is me. Mm. No one should try and change me like like yes, there's a degree of self like growth that I need to do as everyone mm. needs to do. Yeah. But no one should try to change me to make me fit into A certain box, so to say. Like, (laughs) I did have have a principal one time say to me, my ideas are good, but we don't need them at this school. You need to get back into your box because this
0: is not... Wow.
1: Yeah. I had no words to even say anything. Like, I was just like...
0: Yeah, I would have been shocked, I think. And that's quite soul-crushing to hear that. Yeah. How can you not take that personally?
1: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I was just like, well... How do I keep working here and know that my ideas are not what is wanted? Like yeah, yeah. yeah. So I had to sort of just learn to just keep being myself and like that was that's enough. Like yeah. I don't yeah. need to fit into anyone else's expectations of me. That doesn't help me any in any way. Yeah. That doesn't help the students in any way. Like not being my true creative self means that I'm not doing my job properly. Yeah. means that I can't, like, achieve to my greatest. It means, um, I guess it also means that the students don't see a different way of working as well. Mm. You can't have every teacher teaching exactly yeah. the same way. I think that would be so like boring. Like, it would be so boring. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I've just s- slowly learnt, like... They're not in my classroom every day. They don't necessarily need to know all the different creative things I'm doing. Yeah.
0: And then <laughs> over time too, you can yeah. you can move around schools and find one that actually supports your creativity. I think that's the yeah. that's the dream, right? Yeah. But it's it can be hard. So being able to find a way to still be yourself. Yes. Is important. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. It definitely is. So yeah, it just takes time to try and be like other people's opinions, they can have them, but they don't need to necessarily affect you. because at the end of the day, the people the people that are close to you, their opinion matters the most to, yeah like really, and it's not always going to be the people you work with. Mm. They're not always going to be your biggest supporter or have your best interests at heart. Yeah, so
0: and- it's, yeah, so you just need to be yourself. Yeah, and I I know for me, and I'm sure a lot of people listening, I find it really hard not to not to put too much weight in what other people think of me. Yeah. you know, I it's natural for me to want to please everybody. Yeah, and it's an ongoing journey for me to go. Yeah, okay, that's their opinion, but mm. it's not about pleasing them. It's okay. Well, what's going to make me happy? And that's a constant journey. But it sounds like you're at a place now where you're quite good at that and very aware of it
1: yeah i am very aware of it but i'm also very still like it's <laughs> still not um, easy <laughs> it's easier sometimes than others but also i'm still in that phase of avoiding conflict and in, in right. to a certain extent yeah yeah um depending what it is i'm kind of like more learnt where when it's worth it and when it's not worth it yeah and yeah. then to sort of make my own professional judgments Mm -hmm. in my own space. Yeah. And then I guess ask for forgiveness later. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, that usually doesn't happen because it's just, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. And some things, I guess, that I think are sometimes a big deal aren't necessarily that big of a deal in hindsight. Like, it matters to me so I make the choice that I want to make but – like in the grand scheme of things to anyone else it's not as big yeah know
0: what's important to you pick your battles yeah pretty much yeah think that's a good good place to end it we're currently sitting in my office on the carpet <laughs> there's crap everywhere the fan's off so the mic doesn't pick up the sound I'm getting really hot my palms are sweaty
1: <laughs> yeah I'm really thirsty I was told I couldn't drink because it was too noisy
0: <laughs> I sound awful so. <laughs> um, was- yes that's the sound of the water bottle so I, I um, <laughs> gave Danny strict instructions not to drink while we were on air but Danny, thank you so much for joining me it's been a blast yeah you've been with me on the first episode which is awesome now I've got to go back and and try to edit it um I don't think I'll do too much because I'll be there forever <laughs> yeah that's right um I hope you've got something out of this Danny. before we sign out is there a couple of take-home messages you want people um to keep in mind
1: just be yourself know your limits and if you're struggling with anything it's always okay to ask for help Mm. either from those around you or a professional yeah it's always a good thing to do
0: yeah yep and on that note we'll bid you adieu wow 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 I have recorded the first episode. This feels like a huge milestone. I hope you enjoyed listening in. I had a really great time chatting with Danny. Um it's not really a context we usually have a chat and there were questions there that I've never asked her before, so it was really cool. I've just finished editing the episode. I'm so slow at it. It was only a very simple edit, cutting out, you know, those pregnant pauses and repetitive ums. But yeah, it's taken me over an hour. Um, We started off with just over 50 minutes of recording and we're down to about 45. So anyway, enjoy the episode. I've got really exciting episodes lined up. I promise they're not all with my friends. Um, And there's some really interesting people that I think you're going to get a lot of insights from. Talk to you soon. This episode resonated with you at all. Could I please ask that you share it with a friend who you think could get value from it? And whilst you're doing that, make sure you follow and subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss another episode. And whilst you're following or subscribing, please leave us um, a rating, preferably five stars, and also a written review. Doing each of these things is going to help this podcast reach more people and impact more lives, which is at the end of the day is what we're here to do. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Remember, you matter, you're worth it, and you are so, so capable. Take care of yourself, and I'll see you next week.